There is no greater evidence in the world of the power of God outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Proved in history beyond a shadow of a doubt in any number of ways, I'm not going to make the case that it happened in history. The greatest case that I can make that Jesus Christ actually rose bodily from the dead as the ultimate display of God's power is the fact that you're sitting here this morning. That is the greatest evidence. There's a lot more things that we could say. There are books that we could read, but the bottom line is we are here this morning to remember, to observe, and to celebrate, and to humble ourselves to the fact that there is no greater evidence of the power of God as the greatest source of energy and power in the world outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, there is inherent tension when someone says something like that, because that kind of power, well, it can be a little overwhelming, and yet we know that the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that can be found in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, can be summarized in two words, and is actually summarized in these two words, in the, in the epistle of James and in Hebrews, and here are the two words, draw near. Draw near. This is the message of God. This is the message of the Bible. It is the heart of the gospel. And yet the tension lies in the fact that we are being asked to draw near to the greatest power we can possibly imagine. The power to create. The power to restore to life. The power to bring the dead to life. The Bible says, draw near. And we find ourselves in this position. We want to, but we are afraid of that kind of power. We are incredulous of that kind of power. Sometimes we are blind to that kind of power. And yet we dare to turn away because the gospel is so compelling and that power is so powerful and we've all experienced it in different ways. So the tension of the gospel is this. The greatest power imaginable in the universe has two words for us, draw near. And we don't dare draw too close for fear of being consumed or not understanding the power of God and overlooking it. Or we don't dare turn away, because where else are we to turn? And so this morning, we're going to take a few moments and look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and take a look at the initial responses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, so that we can better understand how may we today draw near to Jesus, understanding how this question was first answered on that first Easter or Resurrection Sunday morning. This is a very special year for my wife and I. Something magical is happening for us. Uh, I know that some of the families here have experienced this special kind of magic. Some of you are living for this day. But I'm telling you right now, now that my wife and I are on the eve of this magical experience, it comes with a certain degree of, of sorrow as well as joy. And this magical experience is called empty nesting. We are on the cusp of empty nesting. Thing one has gone off to college, is home on a gap year, and will be returning to college this fall. Thing two will be going to college for the first time in August. And it's going to leave a big hole in our lives. We have been mom and dad for the past 20, now 21 years. And we love being a mom and dad. But we would never do anything to keep our boys home when they have their sights set on their own future and moving off and being the man that God has called them to be. So in recognition of this special transition, we have planned a really big family trip for the four of us. In August, we will be traveling to Costa Rica as a family, and we have put together a tour. We're renting a car, and we're bombing all over the country, and we're having a big family adventure, understanding that 
maybe the last time uh, that we'll be able to do so as the Georgians. And so I've been watching the news and following what's happening in Costa Rica in preparation for our trip, and I couldn't help but notice that Costa Rica has a new phenomenal tourist attraction. Uh, it's located at a bridge that is 70 miles west of San Jose. The name of the bridge is the Tarcones Bridge, and maybe you saw this. It's, it's, it's becoming one of the most popular tourist attractions in Costa Rica because it is a natural congregation point for crocodiles or crocodiles. For some reason, dozens of massive crocodiles are hanging out under this bridge. And so a tourism industry has built up just by, you pull over by the side of the road and you get to watch these crocodiles, which is just, I'm using crocodiles as an analogy of the power of God. Like who doesn't, if you're in Costa Rica, why wouldn't you pull over to the side of the bridge to see how many crocodiles you can see? 13 foot, they're dinosaurs. That's what crocodiles are. Why would you not, with your boys, want to stop and see real living dinosaurs? Like, it's fantastic. But you want to see them from a distance. Everybody would agree, hey, if you're in Costa Rica on vacation with the family, draw near to the crocodiles, but not, not too near. It's the tension of the gospel. Nothing is more powerful and dangerous than God. And we want to draw near to him but we also know that we have to draw near to him the right way. Because he is, at the end of the day, the most powerful force in the universe. How do we draw near? And so this morning we're going to take a look at what we find in the Gospels as Jesus appears, risen from the dead, and the different responses that we see. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. We'll be reading verses 1 through 4. The words will also be available to you on the screen. This is the reaction of the guards. Please understand that, that at the request of the Jewish leaders of the day, Pontius Pilate uh, put a number of guards on duty watching the sealed tomb of Jesus Christ for fear that his followers would steal Jesus' body, hide it somewhere, and say that Jesus has risen from the dead, and that thereby the death of Jesus would cause more problems than the teaching of Jesus would. There's a very real fear in the first century world in the tensions between Rome and Jerusalem. And so Pontius Pilate put four guards on duty, and these guards had a front row seat to the resurrection. Here's their response, found in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. Here's the first idea this morning. That in response to the greatest example of power in the known universe, bringing Jesus Christ back from the dead. The very first ones to witness this were guards, and they, act, they passed out in fear. They became perfectly unresponsive by their fear of what was happening. Maybe they were afraid of losing their jobs. Maybe they were afraid of what their peers would think. Uh, maybe they, that they would never believe what had just happened. Maybe they were actually just afraid for their lives because they'd never seen such a display of force before. All we know is that they actually passed out from fear. Please 
note in this text that the women did not. <laughs> the women did not pass out from fear. We'll be taking a look at that in a few moments as well. But the guards who were paid to be there, the ones who were supposed to prevent anything like this from happening, passed out from fear, perfectly unresponsive. When they came to, the text goes on to say that they went and reported all of these things to their leaders, and their leaders bought them off at a high price. Here's, here's the idea this morning, that sometimes we are so afraid of approaching a living Savior because of our own insecurities, because of our own sin, because of our own background, because of our own history, that it's easier to be dead to the things of Jesus Christ than it is to pursue them. That our idea of drawing near to Jesus Christ overwhelms us with fear and we just decide to be dead to matters of faith. And we fritter away our lives. We're bought off by stuff. We're bought off by other important but not essential relationships. We're bought off by hobbies. We're bought off by the pursuit of money. We're bought off by pursuing our own reputation. We're bought off at a high price. And the high price is higher than we think because it's, we die and we will not entertain the claims of the gospel, which is to draw near. You see, when we're dead to matters of faith, when we're dead to what the Word of God has to say, when we're dead to the invitations of our loved ones to join them in the house of worship, when we're dead in our own prayer lives, when we're dead in our own studies, we're ignoring the claims of the cross, and we're not drawing near. And it actually can become a habit. It can become a pattern, and we end up frittering our life away. It's like being a child. <laughs> Your dad thinks it's a good idea to watch the living dinosaurs. <laughs> You're scared to death. And you say, Dad, I'm just going to stay in the car. You guys go have fun watching this couple of you from the Tarcoles Bridge. I'm going to sit the juice box and stay in the back seat. Can you crack the window for me? And you miss everything. You see, there are times we should be afraid of God. We should approach Him the way He needs to be approached, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. But we also have to put the gospel of Jesus Christ first that our desire to draw near to Jesus has to be greater than our fear of what might happen when we do. The crocodiles are worth watching from the safety of the bridge. Draw near. Jesus Christ and the claims of the New Testament are worth exploring. In fact, they're worth embracing. In fact, they're worth living for, but we must draw near. The guards were dead to everything that had to do with the gospel, and they ended up frittering their lives away. And so one of the responses that we see to the gospel this morning is fear. Overwhelming fear. Fear that God might actually answer our prayers and get a hold of us. And so we decide to stay away. The second response can be found in the gospel of Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 14, we find another response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Later, he, Jesus, appeared to the eleven, the disciples, themselves, as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had been resurrected. Then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Please understand that of, the, uh, of all the people on the planet, outside of possibly Mary Magdalene and Jesus' own mother, these 11 guys knew Jesus better than anybody. And yet, when the women came back from their conversation with the angels and told them that Jesus was alive, 
they were met with doubts. They were met with unbelief. Those that knew Jesus the best, those who had actually heard from his own lips that this was going to happen to him in fulfillment to the scripture, and then saw it happen, did not believe the reports of his resurrection from the dead. Here's the, here's the other response for those of us who are seeking to engage with the gospel, who are seeking to engage with God, who are seeking to draw near. We feel that if we have doubts, that disables us from approaching Jesus. We feel that if we don't believe the claims of the gospel, or God's power to forgive, or the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, or, 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 or that, if you, that you would actually be accepted by a community of faith just as you are. We all come with doubts. And the problem is we feel that our doubts can disable us. Can I just point you back to the text and say, of all the people on the planet, outside of Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, these 11 guys knew Jesus the best, and the claims of his resurrection were met with doubts. I want to say something that maybe you've never heard in church before. I don't know that it's possible to be a sincere follower of Jesus Christ without a healthy degree of doubt. It's like the reinforced steel in concrete. You can pour a bunch of concrete, but you can't build much on it unless you reinforce it with steel, something that is not concrete. And what I'm suggesting is that doubt is to the believer as reinforced steel is to concrete. That is when we doubt, we ask question after question. That is when we doubt, we pray a little bit more. That is when we doubt, we read a little bit more. When we doubt, we explore a little bit more. And then we learn something and our faith is actually strengthened. Please understand that when we go right back to the moment of where the post-resurrected Jesus Christ appears on the planet, he acknowledges the doubt of his believers, and then he gives them the greatest command he's ever given. Go! In your doubt! In your disbelief! In your wondering if it's too good to be true or if you're worthy of the cause, and share the gospel with everybody, understanding that those who respond to the gospel by faith resulting in baptism, will actually be transferred from earth to heaven. With your doubt, go and fulfill this mission. I find that incredibly encouraging. Because I think through our doubts about matters of faith and our worthiness and the claims of the gospel, we are led on a path where our, our doubts actually turn into the very things that we rely on and strengthen and encourage others with. There is no such thing of the post-resurrected Jesus showing up and someone immediately believes phase one. And we'll talk about them when we get to the Gospel of John. It's normal to have doubts and insecurities about ourselves, about the Bible, and about Jesus. And Jesus commands us to go anyway. In fact, he with your doubts, draw near. With your doubts, draw near. <laughs> you see, you might be like the child whose dad thinks it's a good idea to go visit the living dinosaurs in Costa Rica and think that your dad is telling a joke. And so you run out of the car and you're like, if it's fun to watch crocodiles from the bridge, how much more fun would it be to watch crocodiles from the bank of the river? And so not heeding your father's cry, you run right down to the bank because you don't actually believe there's crocodiles in the river. 
in the river. They must be approached. It's good to be a little skeptical, but don't let our skepticism transfer to disrespect. Because God is real, and God is powerful, and it is okay to approach Him with doubt. It is 100% okay to approach Him with doubt, but it is not okay to approach Him without disrespect. Watch the crocodiles from the bridge. We don't need to run down to the bank. The, the appropriate place for our doubts is in a context of other people who also have doubts, who maybe have had those doubts answered, and maybe they haven't. But come and join a community of faith that has bound themselves together to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ with our doubts firmly intact. The call to serve him comes understanding that sometimes we doubt. Draw near anyway. Luke chapter 24, a third response. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13 through 17. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, these two disciples, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. I, I think that picture of the forlorn disciples standing in the presence of Jesus who have stopped walking and are now looking discouraged is the way sometimes we feel in our own matters of faith. We, we want to serve Jesus. We want to be in Jesus' presence, but we either don't, we don't see Jesus at work in our world. And so we stop pursuing our faith and we pull over the side of the road and we feel discouraged. As the text continues, we find that they invite Jesus to join them for a meal, and Jesus is revealed to them in the breaking of the bread as he serves them their own communion dinner. And when Jesus prays and breaks the bread and serves communion to his followers, in that moment, they understand that they are in the presence of Jesus, that they've been with Jesus longer than they knew, and that there was no reason to pull over to the side of the road in discouragement or fear. You see, sometimes like the disciples who are walking, we can't see him. Sometimes we are discouraged from drawing near because of our fear and our unworthiness. Sometimes we are discouraged from drawing near because of our doubts about either the claims of faith or our ability to live a life that's pleasing to God. Sometimes we don't draw near because we just don't see evidence of Jesus in the world. We just don't see evidence of Jesus in our family. We don't see evidence of Jesus in our lives. Sometimes we feel we don't see evidence of Jesus in our church. The little boy goes to see the crocodiles with his dad and thinks it's a good idea to see living dinosaurs while on a family vacation in Costa Rica. The little boy pops his little chin over the, the bridge and he sees other cars pulled over the side of the road and sees other people exclaiming about the crocodiles, but he can't see them. He sees no evidence of the crocodiles. His dad hands him a fish. He tells the boy to huck it in the river. What do you think he's going to see now? He's going to see crocodiles. They're going to see that fish and they're going to pounce all over it. Brother and sister of faith, if you're struggling in your doubts because you don't see evidence of Jesus anywhere in your life, join the fellowship of the saints where they are lifting up the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, specifically communion. The 
promise is, is that where Jesus is being remembered in his death, burial, and resurrection, and where communion is being celebrated, you are going to find Jesus in the center of the remembrance of that sacrifice. If there is one place on the planet where you could expect to find the Spirit of Jesus at work amongst his people that he's promised to be with, wouldn't it be in the observance of communion? Wouldn't it be when the fish hits the water, or in the world of Christianese, when the bread gets broken? In the heart of sacrificial service, in the heart of remembering what it costs God to buy our salvation and our peace and forgiveness, there we will find the clearest and best evidence of the risen Jesus Christ himself. If it's been a while since you've had communion, or if it's been a while since you've been a part of the church, then I would tell you to find where is the sacrifice being the most clearly remembered, or who is making the greatest sacrifice to serve that church. Draw near to that person, and you will find the evidence that you are looking for. It's like dropping a fish in the river underneath the Tarcolaris Bridge. We will always find Jesus where the bread is being broken. We will always find Jesus where the service is the most difficult. We will always find Jesus where the sacrifice is the greatest. If you're looking for evidence of Jesus, don't look for ease. Look to see who's making the greatest sacrifices, partner with them, and watch what happens to your faith. It's like the disciples who have been walking with Jesus in a discouraged way and realize they've spent all afternoon with him. I think that would be our experience as well. And finally this morning, in John chapter 20, this is such a powerful passage. John chapter 20, verse 11 through 17. It has to do with Mary Magdalene. Understand this about Mary Magdalene. Various parts of the scriptures say that numerous demons were driven from her, that she was saved from a life of prostitution, that she was the one that made a great sacrifice and anointed Jesus for his burial and was one of his most faithful followers. Understand that context as we take a look at this passage. John chapter 20, beginning verse 11. But Mary stood outside facing the tomb, crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet, where Jesus' body had been lying. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, Jesus told them, and I don't know where they put him. This exchange knocked out the Roman guards. Also notice that she's speaking with two angelic beings with at least the force to roll away a stone and somehow play a role in Jesus coming back from the dead. There's actual grown men lying on the ground, passed out in fear, and she says nothing to the angels. She wants to know what happened to Jesus. What is her focus? Where is her attention? Where is her heart? Where is her mind? Not with her personal safety. Not with her questions about talking with angelic beings. She has one question on her mind. Where is Jesus? I want to do right by him. I, I, I want to be a part of anointing his body for burial. Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told him, and I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, though she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've removed him, tell me where you put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. And then he says this, and it's so beautiful, but it's also confusing, and I want to help, help, help us understand this morning. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her. 
for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. We took a look last week as we look at the second day of the Easter weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We know what happened on Good Friday, Jesus died. It's mysterious what happened on Sunday, but the book of Hebrews makes it clear that Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies in heaven and presented himself as a perfectly sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And then, as a sign of acceptance, he sat down at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And from that moment, the Lord has looked favorably upon us for the forgiveness of sins. You see, he already ascended to his Father. What is he talking about? I have not ascended to my Father, but I'm going to ascend to my Father. You see, from Mary's perspective, she's scared to death. But she is not scared for her life. If she was scared for her life, she would have never even approached the tomb because there's four men lying as if they were dead on the ground outside the tomb. Soldiers. She's not scared for her personal safety. At the sign of the comatose soldiers, possibly dead soldiers, she would have fled for her life. She wasn't feared about the power of the angels. She wasn't afraid of that at all. She's talking to them about Jesus. Mary is frightened out of her mind. She is scared for one thing. Jesus, don't go away. The scripture says that she is clinging to his feet. Matthew records that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, whom we believe is the mother of Jesus and James, also records that the women clung to Jesus' feet and worshipped him, as was his due. But yet Mary is told, stop clinging to my feet. I have not ascended to my Father yet. My best understanding of the text is that in her fear that Jesus would leave her in that moment and go to heaven and never come back, in her mind she has said to herself that if he decides to ascend to heaven right now, I will cling to his toes. <laughs> I will go with him. I will not be separated from you again. I will cling to you until you ascend. And Jesus says, Mary, stop clinging to me. I haven't, I'm not ascending right now. I haven't ascended yet. But go and tell my brothers that I will be ascending. And so, Mary, you do have to brace yourself for being separated from me, but not right now. You see what Mary was afraid of, being left alone without Jesus. That's what the past few days had been like, and she didn't like it one bit. And she loved Jesus tremendously. She proved it through her questions of the angels and walking past the guards. Mary was frightened that Jesus would go away. can't wait to take my family to Costa Rica. I don't ever want to walk off that bridge. You see, it's seven miles west of the airport. The point in our trip that makes sense to see the crocodile of the living dinosaurs is on our way to the airport coming home. The symbol of never having a boy's home gift. Let me save that moment. Because right now they're 20 and 17, but I see every face of their lives. I'm already standing on the bridge, as you can tell. I don't want to leave the bridge, but I also don't want to hold them back. 
someone walk away from the crocodiles. We'll take a few pictures. Maybe we'll feed them a few fish. We'll look at the crazy people who are walking down the bank of the river. We'll look at the ones who are too afraid to get out of the car. And we'll make another family member. Not the last family member, but it's an important one. Because when we walk off the bridge, it's kind of over. They're going away. They're going to become men. They're going to have their own family. And the message that Jesus has for Mary is Mary, it is time to walk off the bridge. <laughs> I have, I'm not ascending right now, Mary, so you can let me go. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not leaving right now. But go tell my brothers that I am leaving. Because I have promised the presence of the Holy Spirit to be with those who may be by faith. And believe it or not, the presence of the Holy Spirit is a richer and better experience than anything we have personally experienced in our times of fellowship while Jesus walked on the earth. You see, the message that Jesus sends Mary with is that Jesus is going to ascend to the Father bodily. And the message to the church is that he's going to come back. And this morning, if you're afraid of drawing near to Jesus because you're afraid that you might be abandoned by him, you feel alone. There have been times where you've drawn near to a church family or a marriage faith in the past, and it was sweet, but then something happened and it broke it apart. And so sometimes it means we don't want to draw near to Jesus because we're afraid that we'll actually get close to him and then he will leave us through the difficulties of life. And sometimes the difficulties of what it means to be involved in a New Testament church. But the word to the church this morning is draw near anyway. He won't run away from us. In fact, he's running towards us. The biblical promise is that he will come back for his church. And it will be okay. With that, we're going to wrap up our time together this morning. So as you come on back up, Nathaniel, with your team. The overwhelming message of the gospel can be summarized in two words, which is found in James and also in the book of Hebrew. And those two words are draw near. Understanding that God is the most powerful thing we could possibly imagine, and he proved it on Easter Sunday morning. The challenge of this, the responses that we see in the New Testament, is in our fear, draw near. Do not be dead to matters of God. Do not fritter our lives away because we are too afraid of what might happen when we approach God. In our doubts, it's the reinforced seal and the concrete of our Christianity. In our doubts, draw near and embrace the great commission that Jesus gives to those who come to him with their doubts. That when we feel that Jesus is simply not present and we can't see what he is doing, draw near, especially in the areas where we see sacrifices being made and people that are serving with great strength, that there is where we will find Jesus and see him the most clearly. And finally this morning, we do not need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid that Jesus is going to go away and abandon us. We need to prepare ourselves for his imminent arrival. That when he comes back, he finds his church celebrating his presence and accomplishing his great commission. So this morning, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, what a wonderful morning to embrace the gospel as your own. It would sound something like this. Heavenly Father, I do not deserve to draw near to your presence. There's nothing I could do to merit that. And honestly, there's aspects of that that frighten me half to death. But Lord, I can't turn away either because I need your presence in my life. I place my faith in Jesus Christ. I turn from all of my known sins. Would you fill me with the presence of your Holy Spirit as I consider making a decision to baptism? And for those of us who 
have made that decision a long time ago, but we've moved through seasons of doubt, we've moved through seasons of blindness, and we've moved through seasons of fear. Be encouraged that the very first people to encounter Jesus from the grave did too. And he went on to plant the New Testament church where we celebrate his presence living among us every single week. And so we're going to have an opportunity to pray one more time together this morning. We're going to sing one final song. And I encourage you to take a few moments and, and to share the blessing of this day with each other as we head on out to the amazing meal that your wife cooked or maybe she did. But it's amazing either way. My wife prepared an amazing meal, so I'm just saying, oh, prepare. Amazing grace, amazing meal. Would you join us in Advent Pray? Holy Father, thank you so much for this time where we can focus exclusively on the power of your resurrection. And regardless of where we find our hearts and our minds this morning, we see a response in your gospel that the same thing happened to those who were closest to you while you were here on the planet. Father, may our faith be strengthened through fear and doubt and blindness as we are encouraged through your words.